You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy, One Step Off the Grid and The Driven Websites. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the founder and editor of The Driven, along with its associated websites, Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid. Well, electric vehicles are back in the news again. The demand for EVs is soaring through the roof and the number of different models available in Australia is slowly but surely increasing. What about electric utes though? Now we heard from the coalition just recently that there's no such thing as an electric ute. Now we're going to beg to differ because I think uh, Ford have discovered with F-150 Lightning that they do exist and they're selling very, very well. Uh, Rivian has a ute on the road. I think General Motors either has the electric Hummer on the road or is about to have have it on the road. And of course Tesla and its Cybertruck are due very soon as it has been for a couple of years. Anyway, The big question is, when are electric utes going to come to Australia? And the sad reality is probably a few years yet because everyone seems to be prioritising other markets. Now, we've seen a couple of electric utes in Australia, mostly in mines. Um, It's a really good idea to have uh, electric cars underground rather than um, fossil fuel cars belching out diesel just for sort of safety's sake, not to mention fuel efficiency and cost savings. But one company, a new startup, has got big plans for electric utes in Australia, not building their own, but converting the already sizable fleet in Australia. We do know that electric fleets, fleet, electric utes sorry, are extremely popular. All the tradies have them. We know that, um, sorry, utes are very popular. All the tradies have them, and we're pretty sure that they're going to really like electric utes. And I think this is the market that um, our guest this week is going to tap into. And I'd like to welcome Noah Wasma. Um, probably didn't get that pronunciation right, Noah, but um, from Rove, one of the two founders and uh, co-bosses, I think, of um, Rove, spelt R-O-E-V. Uh, Noah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Giles, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Um, look, let's get to your name first, Rove, but you kind of confuse the V and the E. I guess you've done it deliberately because it spells EV, but um, is that going to be an issue for you? Uh, you know, we, you know, naming is always a, a tricky thing, uh, but we, we um, looked, went through a, a whole host of names, but we really fell in love with Rove. There's, there's a couple main reasons. One, you know, as you think about Australia and Australians in particular, um, we, you know, this is a country of explorers, right? A, a country of people that like to go into the outback and, and uh, get into nature. And one of the ideas of Rove is that it really is about this exploration and continuing to uh, be on this journey. And that, that really had a high connection with us. And we also like the inversion of the letter just because it does pull in that EV element. Um, you know, obviously there's a little trickiness in the pronunciation, but we're, we're gonna get people there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, tell us what drove you to quit um, your, your, I think you both worked at um, Atlassian, um, probably one of the most successful companies out there today, um, whose two founders, Scott Farquhar and Mike Cannon-Brooks, are very, very prominent in the green energy industry and sort of promoting that, uh, and have done very well out of the company. What prompted you to leave those great jobs, as I understand, to set up a startup? It will, you know, it's pretty simple. You know, we have uh, my my co-founders and I have uh, small children. And one of the things that we see is that time is, is really running out in terms of making a big difference in terms of climate impact. You know, whether you 
um, um, believe it or not, you're starting to see the the impacts that we're you know we're having flooding in some places, uh, just heat everywhere else. We're having uh, you know some some really big challenges across the globe. And you know one of the things that we know is that we have to start now with just a, a dire urgency. Uh, and you know this is something that Scott and and Mike uh, also just really impressed upon not only us but you know the you know they're making a really big stand in the in the market on this and. You know, we just felt this this absolute urgency and this passion to really go dig in and do something. And um, we really looked at the market. And you know, as you start you started this conversation, you know, uh, Australians love Utes, right? They love them, and and the, there's a good reason. You know, this is a, a country that's just building and growing. Um, it's it's vast in nature, and yet you see this this absolute uh, absence of electric Utes. And so we thought there's a real opportunity here. Um, to to really bring uh, this this beloved vehicle uh, to the country. So, what is it that you're actually proposing to do? We've seen a few sort of conversions here and there with electric utes, uh, sort of with you know sort of existing utes. I think the Toyota Land Cruiser, for instance, and some of the mines in South Australia and probably Western Australia as well. But you're looking to do this sort of thing, but on a commercial sort of um, I don't know whether large scale is the right word, but certainly sort of bigger scale. Actually, have like a commercial production line converting existing utes into electric. Yeah. Well, look. Let's let's be clear. You know, we're we're not a conversion business. Really, the electric conversion is one of our first steps towards our long-term vision of a locally built EV, right? Where we see the center of, of Rove really around energy for use and storage and transfer of, of renewable energy, right? That's what we're about. But this, this conversion business is, is really the fastest and one of the most economical ways that we can deliver a very high quality product um, urgently into, into the market. You know, what we've heard from uh, fleets and a lot of our um, you know, sustainability focused businesses is that they need they need a ute right and they need an they they really see an electric ute as something that is is purpose built for them and so if we could take the you know the great belief and and dynamics of the hilux of the ranger and make that electric in, in a really reliable cost effective way that's what we see as really a, a way to start to really make sure that we're making that impact as soon as possible okay so how exactly are you going to go about it then what are you going to do you got a, you got yeah, a couple the, of tritons lined up there what, 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 what happens to them that's right well you know um one of the things and i think you were touching on this is that you know a lot of the conversion businesses have been you know take your classic cars and they've done a phenomenal job right there's some great great businesses here in, in australia doing that and doing it really well uh, but we want scale right we want to bring the next thousand vehicles the next thousand Utes uh, to market. And so what, instead of doing a, a you know, kind of a bay uh, type of uh, transformation, what we wanted to do is bench top, like really look at one specific model, like yeah, a four by four Hilux, you know, a certain set of years that we knew um, exactly how it would fit in, inside of those chassis rails. And then, you know, take that, that battery pack and motor and start to be able to replicate it very, very quickly in these Hiluxes so that we have a prefabricated you know, loom that we have a, a battery box that will fit just immediately into the vehicle so that as you look at almost a line development, what we call a micro factory process that, you know, you can take all of the existing, you know, the, the motor, take out the, the, um, you know, the, 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 the old fuel tank, the exhaust, and actually remove that in like less than four hours and then actually get the new electric setup into the vehicle in another four hours and then spend, you know, a, you know, a, a period of time doing QA on the vehicle but that transformation is an absolute game changer. What is what helps us to reduce the cost dramatically from what you're seeing on traditional conversions. And so that's where we think we can really make this accessible, um, you, know, you know, initially to these, these businesses and fleets, but long-term uh, to, to Australians. 
It seems extraordinary, just four hours to take out the old shit as we described it the other day. I think we were sort of talking before this podcast and then sort of putting, and, and another four hours just to put in the new shit. I yeah, mean, that's, I, um, I that's, that's extremely. I, 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 I would love to print that t-shirt as I, I think it's such a great slogan, you know, get the old shit out and the new shit in. Uh, that's, um, you know, and, and it is it is really quick. And, you know, when you, when you look at a, a factory process that you can really target the right, you know, just the right process that is repeatable, right? Know exactly which bolts, you know exactly what torque, you know, every, every stage of the process will then be geared and, and repeatable, you know, exactly the same way so that we ensure that we have high quality uh, and that you can do it very uh, expeditiously. So you're kind of existing, you're, you're dealing with an existing chassis and an existing car. So how careful do you have to be about where you put the motor and where you put the batteries? Because you've got to think about weight distribution because the chassis of the car has been made with a certain idea about where the weight sits and things like that. They weren't thinking electric when they were designing it. So how do you adapt what you've got uh, to put in that car? Yeah, there's, it's, it's a great question. And a lot of what we do is, is look at, you know, and this is, uh, again, according to a lot of the compliance regulations in, in Australia, in the different states for um, how do we make sure that it's, it's, it's road ready and, and um, passes every bar of compliance so that we do the, you know, we, we weigh the vehicle, look at the different weight on the different on the different wheels. And now because we're using a, a smaller battery technology, we can really configure it. Um, we do two battery packs, one underneath the bonnet and one uh, overneath the, um, the the rear axle where the fuel tank used to be, uh, and that really gives us the, the appropriate distribution. You know, we we test different um, different weight distributions because there is some leniency there. We we actually find, you know, if um, the vehicle just performs so much better with a little bit of an even distribution, uh, but we'll tend to put a little bit more weight over over the front axle to really mimic what it was with a uh, you know the internal combustion engine. Um, so you know, it's 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 really just to make sure that everything we're doing that the battery boxes stay, you know, within the chassis rails um, to, to really ensure the existing crumple zones, things like that, that we really are uh, ticked and tied to make sure that we're, we're fully compliant. I was kind of intrigued what you said about smaller batteries. Are you talking about two smaller battery packs or you actually sort of got this idea about smaller batteries which take up less space than what we see? Yeah, now? right. The, um, so we use different, different cell technology. Um, one of the real benefits of some of the different um, technologies that we're looking at, the, the form factor, you know, some of them are about the size of a brick, right? And if you can imagine, then you can really get them into nooks and crannies and, uh, you know, underneath the bonnet or behind the rear, uh, you know, underneath the, uh, where the fuel tank used to be. And so that, that's, that's what I mean by the, just the, the cells themselves are, are really configurable inside of our, inside of those chassis rails. Okay. How does it feel then? How's it going to feel for the driver? You're sort of sitting in the um, in the uh, in the in the driver's seat, and you've got your passengers there. What are they going to see in front of them that's different? Yeah, that that was one of the the fun things about this is that we're we're really trying to almost hide uh, the 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 idea that it is electric, right? We we want fleet drivers, we want businesses to really they they know the specs, they know what a Hilux is able and capable of doing. Uh, we want to make sure that we're really maintaining that. So, you know, when they, they pop in the vehicle, uh, one of the only differences is that they'll have a, a, a knob that is on the dash that says forward and reverse and, and neutral. Um, that, and they, they just set that and, and then they, they forget it, right? So if they're used to an automatic, they traditionally pull the, the you know, the, the gear stick back. But on, on this one, they just turn a knob. And outside of that, there's, there's really very little change. Um, in terms of the overall performance, now I, I'm sure as you... Uh, have have seen that electric motors can can really create a, a pretty fast vehicle. 
one of the things that we're we're doing is really optimizing the the reduction uh, the reduction gears, and we're really trying to make sure that this is a uh, it has the same performance dynamics as what you would expect in a in a Hilux or Ranger, and and really that's it's, it's good news because what we can do is really optimize the range, optimize its towing capacity. You know, instead of really being a you know a Tesla motor as an example, it's it's peak you know peak torque is around sixteen thousand RPM. Now, could you imagine you know uh, hitting hitting a drive uh, you know a, a Hilux drive shaft and 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 rear diff at sixteen thousand RPM? I think you would. You'd have a, a little noisy, <laughs> noisy vehicle, right? So you know, again, with the right reduction gearing, um, you know, we can keep it around that you know peak peak torque or right around that you know what we'll call the um, you know the four and a half thousand RPM mode. And so we want the right motor and battery technology to really get the most efficient range at the at that you know with that same kind of torque. So that that's a lot of the work we're doing right now is is working with fleets and making sure that they're experiencing um, what what they want for their different use cases. Okay, and what sort of range are you thinking of um, providing? Yeah, we have two different battery packs that we're we're testing right now. One's a seventy kilowatt hour, uh, and and we're expecting around two hundred and fifty um, kilometers with it. These are still you know fairly heavy vehicles, and then we have a we, we likely just over a hundred kilowatt hours that we think we will get right around over four hundred uh, kilometers. So it's you know something that we're um, you know continuing to look at different cell technology, but we think that that's really in the the envelope of where we're seeing, um, you know, 80 to 90% of the use cases for fleets, you know, that, that we think that's going to meet a lot of their target use cases. And what about towing? So towing, we're trying to keep the same three and a half ton uh, towing ratio. Now, obviously, one of the things with um, um, that, that you're seeing across electric vehicles today, it will, it, it can reduce your range almost in half, right? And, and there's, um, that that's something that, uh, you know, we're trying to be very open and transparent about, you know, and, and you know, a lot of the use cases today um, don't require towing. Some of them that do, we want to show that it can tow like nothing else, right? That it has that, it has that great uh, torque curve, um, but, you know, it, it will impact the overall range. Okay. And what about vehicle to load and vehicle to grid? Because there's, um, um, that's one of the big things about these new um, big car maker um, electric utes. They've kind of got that facility, facility that people can just power their tools with the, with the Giles, now you're now you're getting me excited because this is where I, ah. you know, <laughs> this is one of the areas that we we really care about. Um, you know, obviously, you're you know when you're thinking about this, you know, a seventy kilowatt hour, a hundred kilowatt hour Ute, um, you know, you compare that to your traditional battery wall in your house, right? Which is somewhere between seven and and maybe thirteen kilowatt hours, right? So you're talking almost ten times more power in your in your Ute than you traditionally have at your home. Right, so one of the first use cases that is really exciting is is what you call vehicle to load, right? And this means that we have you know powerpoints right in the vehicle that you can charge your tools, you can charge your your um, your battery packs, you know, even while you're driving down the road, it, it'll actually keep those charged up. So whenever you hit the site, you know, you'll have that that power accessible. You can also just plug a cord right into it and, and use the Ute. I mean, think about that from a you know construction perspective or you know different different use cases, you know, where they're they're coming into maybe a flood zone and they need to run a pump or they need to run lighting, right? Now you have that accessibility really at, at your fingertips and you can get close to the proximity where, where you need to, to deliver that 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 energy. But but as you suggested, one of the things that we're really focused on and where we get, you know, just even more excited is is around how do we, you know, provide resilience for the depot, resilience for your home. You know, how can we also do what we call over time this will call vehicle to grid, 
right? And, and this is um, now where the vehicle itself can actually help with some of the stability of the low voltage network, right? So think about in your local neighborhood, as more and more vehicles are coming into play during those peak demand times, like 6 to 8 p.m. when everybody comes home, you know, th those are times that you can actually create uh, a real challenge in, in, in the low voltage network by, by having these electric vehicles plugged in, they can actually stabilize. They can do these, these really smart things to help, you know, stabilize the network, make sure everybody has power all the time. And also over time that there's this, what we call arbitrage, where you can actually, you know, help the, the, the vehicle owner uh, monetize some of that power. Now this is this is this is early. There's a lot of folks working on it. I've, I'm sure you've seen in the news some articles on this. But this is where we really want to come together with a solution that that really helps fleets and depots and and, and soon homes and 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 uh, or you know everyday Australians really see this vehicle not only as you know great for uh, driving down the road, but also as this power wall on wheels, right? That can really provide some great use cases. And you're actually saying too that, it, I mean, you talked about the network and the low voltage network and how these electric utes and more electric cars of any sort, I'd imagine with vehicle to grid capabilities can actually reinforce this, um, the, the, the strength of that low voltage network, which is the one that basically delivers, you know, the power to um, all the homes and the suburbs and things like that and, and, and regional communities. So, I mean, can you actually sort of get to a stage where a, you've got a network operator, looks at the weak point in the grid, decides, I'm not going to build a substation, I'm going to buy 10 electric vehicles. I, I think this is this is exactly <laughs> this is exactly what what we um, I, I think that it's 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 really good for everyone right from the you know when you think about the poles and wires right the the, the the traditional energy network was built that you have this centralized generation right and they have to create just massive amounts of over generation just to make sure that they could always keep up with with the demand and and now with this this idea of decentralization right and and if you think about the um, there, there's many uh, other other analogies to, to where this this balance uh, of decentralization and centralization have come to play. This is where you you know more vehicles in the low voltage network in neighborhoods can actually really reduce the problems, right? Can create stability without having to change the pole and wire infrastructure. Now that's that's billions of dollars of savings, right? That that is going to really be something where you know what we call our DNSPs are really going to be excited about this because. Now we can provide more power, more more stability, uh, and do so with this decentralized um, these decentralized storage assets, which you know just happen to be these also great utes. I'd just I'd like to get back into the uh, just the passenger experience um, for or sort of the driver experience for the ute. So on the dashboard, are they seeing a little fuel pump, or are you going to replace the fuel pump with something that looks like a um, a charging station? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, the. You know, there's a couple of different um, places that we'll have. You know, in, in your you know, your more your newer Hilux, newer Ranger, you have a a, a video display. That, you know, and you'll see um, all kinds of information about charging stations and how far you know you can go before you're you know how how you're doing in terms of fuel consumption. We also can tie into analog dials, right? And so your traditional um, you know full and empty um, signal will will actually be consistent. Right. It, we, mm -hmm. we think that you want a little bit more detail than just full and empty, you know, like what is my range and how far can I go? Uh, so there'll be multiple different ways of, of getting that information similar to what you get uh, today. But it will be really talking about, you know, your range and or charge remaining and where can you go charge up if you need to. What about regenerative braking? Yes. So, so that is that is absolutely the case. It's a, it's a huge benefit in these vehicles. Right. And uh, we're, we're it's pretty standard today. We also have three different settings. Um, many of the vehicles have this today where, uh, you know, where you have everything from 
what you call kind of your traditional driving experience where, you know, for example, when you let go of the brake, it propels you a little bit, right? And, and electric vehicles, you know, by default, sometimes don't do that. And so you, you, you know, you can create that experience. You can mimic that experience if you want to keep it very, very traditional. When you hit the brake, it will, as you suggest, do regenerative braking, right? And, and just when you think about that, it's just crazy, Giles, right? I mean, the, the idea that, you know, we used to be taking asbestos brake pads. Now I, I know I'm sure they're not asbestos anymore, but you take all of this momentum and velocity and try to grind your way to a stop, right? Now you're actually, you know, using that in, in intelligently to regenerate power to the battery and significantly, right? Significantly, that's, that's what's exciting about it. And the next phase of it, you know, uh, as you're saying, there, there's a different setting that is what we call um, one pedal driving. You know, Tesla has this and has done a, a wonderful job with it that, you know, once you get used to it, when you take your foot off the, the accelerator, you know, there's actually a, a higher um, slowing of uh, means it slows faster in the vehicle. And so that may sound, you know, kind of counterintuitive at first. But once you get used to it, you know, you, you find that you're almost never hitting hitting the brake. And it's much more relaxing and much more comfortable. And so we'll have those different options for the driver to, to kind of set what, what they expect. By default, we believe that we'll have the, tra the traditional driving mode just so, as people get used to it. But then we'll start to introduce that to them in different ways so that they can see, is this more relaxing, more enjoyable? Um, and we, we, we think that they will eventually. That's what we're seeing across the board. So you've got a couple of these utes. Um, you've done a couple of conversions, if um, if that's the word. Um, and there's a couple running around the place. Um, you've driven some. I think you've been driven, driving some this weekend. Now, this might not be the most objective um, assessment, but tell us what it's like to drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, um, you know it, it's it's so funny, and, and I'm sure you've seen this experience, Giles, when people get into electric vehicles for the first time. It, it often just puts a smile on your face. I don't know if it's because it kind of reminds you of like a golf cart. Right, that there's there's no sound, there's or very little sound. You know that there, um, there's just the ease by which it accelerates the. Um, uh, and you know, today I was just um, I'm I'm up in the Sunshine Coast going through um, um, Budrum and and just some of the back backwoods through Palmview, and just that you smell and hear nature. Right, you're just feeling like you're you're actually much more engaged with it. Um, you know, there's the uh, experience of going by bicyclists and and really wanting to make sure that they know you're there because you're a lot more quiet than than the traditional vehicle. Um, you know, and 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 I uh, I just think it's it's really surprising and delightful. It just is a really great experience. And you know, I um <laughs> I went around the vehicle and was just looking for you know any um you know just making sure doing the safety checks and making sure everything um is, is is good and and true and you know there's just so many fewer parts to check right and, and i think that as you've seen the maintenance on these vehicles is significantly less and and that's just uh it's just part of the whole equation that really seems to be coming together oh, it sounds like so go silently and smell the roses that could be your new sort of advertising pitch to the <laughs> tradies out there and uh, i like it i like it, it. <laughs> It might have to be the talk and the, um, the the other components that get them going. Okay, then costs. Um, how much is it going to cost to convert them? What sort of payback you're targeting fleets now? Fleets kind of have a different way of thinking about electric vehicle ownership. They're looking at leasing things. They're looking at three, four, five year ownership and turnarounds and things like that. Um, how's it all adding up? Yeah, I know. I, everybody wants the simple answer on this, and, and we're going to get there. You know, we're we're right now really trying to to focus on. Um, you know, making sure that we get the right the right component, the right price point. Um, you know, trying to make sure that we sourcing we're sourcing as as I mentioned earlier in volume to really help reduce that price point. 
we think there's a, you know, um, you know, traditionally when you look at conversions, you look at, um, uh, you know, uh, the simplest way to look at this is, is when you think about a fleet, they're, they're very clear on the cost of the vehicle. They're clear on the cost of fuel that they use. And they're clear on the cost of, of, of the maintenance. You know, when you add those things up, um, what we're trying to do as best as possible is, is, is be either cost neutral, um, it, you know, if, if possible. Now, like, what does that simply mean? We think, you know, we think we've got a, um, you know, there, there's a ballpark that's been out there that we, we tend to see that we're trying to, to can constantly lower that cost. But we, um, you know, we really think that uh, uh, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be releasing those numbers probably in the next six to, six to eight months. Six to eight months. And how soon do you expect to roll out this, um, these things at, at scale? I mean, when do, you want to, you, when do you want your first manufacturing facilities in? Yeah, we're you know we're actively um, you know producing you know a handful of these things right now and, and making sure that we're getting all of the the uh, all of the production lined up for a start of production. You know, again, what we hope to be doing and where we feel reasonably on track for this is, um, you know, over the next you know six months or so, really finalizing with the fleets in terms of what requirements they have, what vehicles you know, is this four by four, is it four by two, is it the seventy kilowatt hour, the hundred kilowatt hour. What are the, the use cases that they need? So, you know, after about that six months, we plan to start production right after that. Uh, and and we, we're, we're targeting to have over, over 100 units in production per month. You know, we, we set a very aggressive goal, um, you know, of, of having over 1,000 units done in the first 12 months of production. Um, you know, because that is the right mindset for us, both in terms of how to reduce the overall economics through volume, but also, you know, how to, how to really design the process itself really to be built for scale. And, and so that's our, our, our uh, goal. And, and we're, we're going uh, really on track right now. Okay. And you, so you have to get this going in 2023, say? That's correct. Yeah. Um, so which models first? So you, you've, you've mentioned the Hilux. Um, will you do, kind of do it in batches or sort of um, of brand names? I'd do a Taylor Hilux and do a, you do a Triton next or something like that? Or Yeah, the, the two we're up? working on right now are both Hilux and Ranger. Right? And we're looking at the, the newest models. The, um, the Ranger just came out with a, a new body, uh, body style that we call model year 23. Um, you know, the, the Hilux is right in the middle um, of, of their what we think in the middle of their range. So, you know, we're um, ideally looking at the um, Hilux first. Um, we've been just working on that, but the, um, the Ford is, is offering a really compelling option as well. There's a, a lot of similarities um, in terms of the um, configuration that we're putting into the, into the vehicle. Um, and it really comes down to where the fleets are, are having the most urgency. And, and so that's where um, those two are our first, uh, but we, we likely will start with the Hilux. Now you said that at the start of this um, at the start of the podcast, this is just the first stage, and you actually want to get to the stage where you can make your own utes. I'm, I presume from the ground up. Um, so tell me what your what, what, what's the long term vision then? Yeah, the um, you know uh, there is such amazing talent here in Australia, right? The the Holden DNA. There's there's great teams from Ford here here locally. You know we we see a need to urgently unlock the the supply here in the country and through any means possible, whether that's conversions, whether that's looking at, you know, are, are there ways that we can, you know, import components? Are there ways that we can, you know, um, manufacture all the way from, from scratch? We've already started the process of that design of that, of an Australian ute. It is, you know, one of those things that we're, we're really trying to prove out is show that we can deliver the scale to really focus on execution, 
right? To make sure that we're getting high quality vehicles out into the market, have a, a team, have a site that, you know, we're, we're growing and scaling, showing, you know, profitability. All of those things really help, you know, the, the community, the government, the investors really see that this is, this is possible and this is doable. And in fact, we can restore manufacturing to Australia. Now, it's not manufacturing. A lot of times when people think about auto manufacturing, they hear the crazy numbers in terms of these, you know, billions of dollars spent on, on manufacturing. And, and that's obviously because they're building for hundreds of thousands of vehicles annually out of those lines. What we have an opportunity to do here is, is build, again, what we call this micro factory approach, which is, is, is a smaller scale. It's a, it's a much smaller line that we can produce about 10,000 uh, units on a single line through a single shift um, uh, annually. Right. So if you think about it, if you want to go from 10,000 to, you know, something like 30,000, you just offer three shifts. Right. And if you want to offer you know, more than that 30,000 units annually, you create a you horizontally scale for a secondary plan. We could do that regionally and, and do it actually with uh, another vehicle. So we've you know, we, we, we have very clear line of sight that we can do this incredibly cost efficiently. Uh, that's what we're you know, we're, we're continuing to stay um, focused on it. But we're taking these necessary steps now to really to help customers understand who we are, start building high quality products and really evolve over time into that into, into that, uh, you know, what we call a hundred year company of, of developing great products for Australia. And what sort of time frame are we talking about when we might see a great Aussie electric ute? Yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're focused on um, uh, the next three to five years is what we think is, is reasonable. But in the interim, you know, having these, these great um, different mechanisms for, for bringing, um, you know, whether it's converted or, or, you know, more and more manufacturing here locally where we can, you know, manufacture everything from batteries and motors all the way through to that full, that full end to end uh, manufacturing. So, you know, we, we see it's in the near term, it's in the near horizon. Hmm. And um, just coming back to the cost of the vehicle, um, we've seen in the rollout of electric vehicles um, that there is a willingness for many people wanting to go electric to pay a premium. I mean, mm. um, I'm kind of one of those people that sort of never spent more than $25,000 in the car and had to spend three times that much when I bought an electric car. And I think there's a fair few other people in that spot and other people might have had to make a smaller leap, but um, they've kind of made a leap anyway. Do you think there's much of a, um, a willingness and um, amongst sort of fleet operators or in individuals to do the same thing with utes? Yeah, I, th I think so. You know, and, and again, I, I w I'm looking forward to giving you a lot of specifics and we, we will get them out there. Uh, but right now, the... Um, you know, if you think about the fuel cost today of, of $3,000 to $5,000 uh, annually that, that a lot of fleets are paying, um, you know, the maintenance cost, you know, in, in the, uh, you know, a, a few thousand dollars, you know, much of that, not all of it, but much of that is removed with electric vehicles, right? So there is this um, validation on the premium that, you know, that, that is worthwhile, meaning that in the, the residuals oftentimes right now are holding really well for, for electric vehicles. And so that goes into the, the overall cost equation. Um, you know, I, I still think that we're, you know, at a point in the market where um, uh, I think the electric vehicle is, is, is um, you know, going to be, when you add up the fuel costs, add up the maintenance um, and, and look at the cost of the vehicle, it's, it's still a bit more um, for electric, but, it, but it, uh, the sustainability benefits are just significant, right? And, and now if we start to add in some of the, the vehicle to load, vehicle to grid, potential, we think we're very quickly going to cross over, right, where electric vehicles are, are much more affordable, especially if we start to see things like uh, carbon credits and other, other um, 
you know, fuel efficiency standards uh, coming to market that, that will, will make these things um, an absolute no-brainer. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because we're just seeing sort of like a whole change in the way that people see the car. So just from a driving perspective, they sort of handle differently, they can do different things from what they can actually do. It's not just taking people from one place to another or taking equipment from one place to another. They can be stopped and they can plug into a wall and they can actually do something for the grid. And I can see from what you're saying that you're kind of thinking differently about the way that these things can actually be delivered and built. Um, and I, I guess we've kind of seen that with the green energy transition. We're kind of almost going back to where we were in the 1950s and 1960s. Australia is a big manufacturing centre. And now we're kind of thinking about green energy uh, and the cheaper power there. We're kind of thinking of sort of localised um, construction and localised supplies. We're just thinking of these sort of... Um, um, these sort of circular economy type things and these sort of local sort of ecosystems in in a different way, or or, or maybe it's kind of back to the future. I'm not too sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is one of the things that um, you know uh, I I'm just, I came over on the global talent um, in, initiative um, over over to Australia, and I am so grateful and thankful to be here. It's just such an amazing country in so many different ways, and and I'm uh, I, I'm um, I'm constantly impressed by the innovation and the systems here. But one of the things that we're seeing here is that, you know, Australia has the minerals. Uh, I'll say it again. You have all of the minerals. You have all of the, the core assets that are needed to really be a world-class uh, cell manufacturer, to be a world-class manufacturing hub. We have the people and the, and the brilliance here, you know, the, the deep roots in auto, the passion for auto, right? We have, you know, everything we, we possibly could need to really create a world-class um, a manufacturing hub, not just for Australia, but for the region, and it can be done profitably. And, and we, you know, time and time again, we're showing that that can be done in, in a different way, in a modern way. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that I, I really hope um, to, to really prove out is, is to get Australians excited about it. You're seeing more and more countries now seeing that, you know, these supply lines coming from multiple different international, um, you know, sources is really, is, is really challenging, right? And, and, when, and when the ships stop, you know, inventory stops. And, and that's one of the things that we can really take much more of our, our, you know, have sovereign energy, sovereign manufacturing, build the things we need to build in this country. And I really hope to be a part of that. And I'm, again, I'm really grateful to be trying to drive that story here and, and really make sure that we're executing well. One final question, I guess one of the big questions on many people's mind will, will be, um, who's funding you? Where are you getting your money from? Are you getting it from your former employers at um, Atlassian? Or are you still sort of funding it on a private basis and uh, getting yeah, ready to roll out your own plans? Great, Chris. And we're, we're completely private funded right now. We have a, a lot of folks that are expressing interest in us. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, working with the fleets is that they're, they're, they're helping us by saying that they're interested and in that they're expressing interest, right? That, that really helps us because then... Um, you know, we can, we can, you know, try to get these orders that, that help to, um, you know, signify that, that we, we have the demand and that we can fill, fill that demand and those orders, uh, you know, so again, privately funded um, and, um, you know, we, we will, we'll see how that plays out, but, you know, it's, um, we, we feel very lucky um, and, and we'll hopefully have some um, continued growing interest. And I've just got one final question just occurred to me before we uh, wrap up. Um, okay, you've got an individual tradie out there. He loves his um, he loves his Hilux. He would love it to be electric. He can't. He's probably got an order in for the Rivian or the Cybertruck or something like that. He's probably going to be waiting another three or four years. What are his options as an individual tradie and sort of you know self self employed? He's not part of a fleet or anything like that. I mean, what what might be his options in the next couple of years? 
Yeah, this is, you know, this is just, it, it, it's uh, heartbreaking, right? Because there is so much demand, right? I see a lot of information every day about people really wanting um, these vehicles, you know, um, uh, myself included, right? That um, not only a ute, but, you know, a, a larger vehicle for a, a, a big family and a, and a dog, right? And, and there's, there's very few options in the market is what we're helping to change. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that you'll start to see, um, you know, some of the, the vehicles you mentioned, the, the Lightning, the Rivian, um, you know, I think that there'll be some um, other imported vehicles coming into the country. Uh, hopefully, you know, again, for us, it, it, it's just such a such a, a massive demand that it, it's really hard to view it as competition. Like the country needs so many electric vehicles that like we, we need all of it. Right. But the um, I, I would I would expect that it's still going to be a number of years before you see any meaningful volume of of you know the as you mentioned the, the the Ford or the Rivian product or the the GM product, um, you know so we we think that we can make a meaningful dent here, uh, but we want to encourage them to come right and I think our uh, our um, government is working right now on on trying to create um, a, a means for those 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 OEMs to be incentivized to come here and and so that's encouraging as well we're we're going to need every every trick in the book right or, or else we're just going to get uh, keep getting you know the um, uh, the last of the ICE vehicles um, sent here because we're one of the only places that doesn't have a, you know, a, a, an emissions target um, out of out of all the countries in the in the world. And so let, let's let's get some new policy out there that really incentivizes OEMs to land here. Yeah, yeah. And just one final question, because I thought of another one. Um, <laughs> we just yeah. wrapping up. How quickly can we actually just shift to electric? Can, can we just make everything just go electric in, in, in terms of new car sales, at least? Um, yeah, it's, yes. it's some you know, countries. Some, some countries go got twenty twenty five. Um, some some countries say twenty twenty five. Norway, for instance, although they do exclude like commercial vehicles from that. Um, other countries twenty thirty. What's what's your view? You know, we we saw just really exciting information. I know it's a smaller market, but. New Zealand did a phenomenal job, right? They went from just what it was single, low single digit, um, all the way up to, I believe, and please, um, uh, you can check me on this, but I think their their latest number show almost 20% of new vehicles are, are electric, right? Maybe that's a combination of new and used vehicles are electric because they're importing some used vehicles as well. That's, that's great. I mean, if you look at the, the Nordics, I think that they're up to what, 30% or so, that they're even higher in some nations where it's over 50%. So it can happen very quickly. Um, I, I think we again have to have we have to create the right um, the right incentives for the OEMs to come uh, and the right um, you know the right cost structures for uh, individuals here in, in Australia to make it um, you know uh, enticing in terms of you know the it, it, are there the cost savings are there the charger networks so there's a bunch of things that have to change so you know that was a long-winded way of saying that I, I think over the next five to ten years we can make a huge dent in this right we can we can really um, push it. And, and I think, again, with some of the smarter um, techniques that we're using, vehicle to grid, as an example, we can we can really create smart, smart infrastructure uh, that can really support our, our country transitioning quickly. Um, last thing I'll say on that is um, there was a really um, brilliant um, senator um, speaking at, at the latest um, EV summit. And one of the things that she said was, you know, that we, you know, we have 20 million cars today, 20 million ICE vehicles. You know, we shouldn't just go straight to 20 million electric vehicles. And I think that's right, you know, that, that we really have to think about, um, you know, access and making sure that um, there's all forms of, of transport. You know, and, and I know it's, it's not for everybody, but electric bicycles are, are really changing um, access. You know, like that a lot of times 
um, older adults can now actually get much further distance in a much easier way because of these the supported um, you know the, the supported uh, bicycle. So like I think there's it's, it's not just about um, electric vehicles, but but the whole host of new offerings that really ensure transit and, and multiple different means that are are based on renewable energy. So it's it's a very exciting time. No, I think we can keep on talking. We haven't even talked about um, your hometown of Green Bay and the Green Bay Packers and things like that and how you sort of started out there. But um, look, um, well, Giles, hopefully no, you'll have me back. Um, you know, if, if uh, any of your listeners, you know, uh, want to want to come on and ask us questions, we could do that, too, um, because, you know, I, I think it's something we really want to engage and make sure that people get excited about this. Right. This is this is this is great time to be um, watching this. We want to make sure that um, people are really finding a way to to go through this change um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a fun way. Well, I think that's a brilliant idea, actually. What's one of the things I've been trying to encourage the car companies to do is to actually get in a webinar and field questions from people about their new electric vehicle offerings, tell them how it works, what it means, how much it costs, um, all, all you know, the maintenance and, and everything like that. And um, maybe no, you can be the first and that'll be a fantastic, uh, be a fantastic <laughs> thing. So. All right, well, right. thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, it wasn't from uh, Rove, um, R-O-E-V. Um, good luck. Thank you for joining the Driven Podcast. And um, everyone, thanks for listening. Do check out our other episodes of the Driven Podcast and also uh, Energy Insiders and the um, energy, uh, Solar Insiders and Great Solar Business, four different offerings now on um, Renew Economy and its um, other platforms. And that's all for now.